Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Those are verses 17 through 19 of Psalm 119, the first 24 verses of which are our psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 26th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We're continuing our study in the <coughs> book of Ruth, the, the epistle to Timothy, the first one, and then also in the Gospel of Luke. We <coughs> are still continuing to look at the life of Ruth and, the look, and, and how this Moabite woman, and she's described that, that way again today in the lesson we have, how this Moabite woman became important in Israel and how she was treated by at least one man, Boaz, when she came to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so here we are in chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. And remember, she's been out gleaning in the fields because the law provides for um, widows and orphans to be able to, and the poor generally, to be able to glean the fields, which is to say, okay, whatever the reapers and the harvesters left behind, what they missed the poor can have access to. Nobody can can keep them from that. And they also are not allowed to reap the corners of their fields. They're to leave that for the poor as well. And so Ruth has come to this place, and, and this man, has, Boaz, has told her to, to stay with his young women, to keep close to them. It's safe for her to be there, and, and there's going to be provision for her. And so it's, a, it's an extraordinary act of kindness towards this woman, but it's in return for her kindness towards Naomi, her mother-in-law, who, with whom she has come back to Bethlehem. Um, so the, you get this Moabite woman showing kindness, and now we have, in response to that, this man, Boaz, who has provided kindness to her. And so it comes to be mealtime that day, and Boaz said to her, come and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So he's offering her hospitality as well as the opportunity to do this. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. So in other words, he gave her more than she needed for that day. And so he bountifully provided for her. But the language of that really got my attention today, and I don't think I'd ever noticed this before. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Those are the words that you'll see anytime Jesus feeds a multitude, that everybody ate until they were satisfied, and then there was some left over. Then he had the disciples go out and gather up that which is left over. And so it was just, I'd never noticed that language, and so I believe that, that there's probably a connection here between what has happened and, and the work of Jesus, who is actually down the line, as it were, in the, the kinship from Ruth and Boaz. I'm not giving away a spoiler there. I mean, I hope you all know that Ruth and Boaz marry and have children, and indeed, she's the grandfather of David. So there, there's some connection here, I'm positive, with the work of Jesus in feeding the multitudes and those miracles. And so when she rose then afterwards to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. So even the stuff that falls out of the sheaves, the bundles of grain that have been gathered together, even the things that have, have fallen out of that, she's able to get. And then also... Uh, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. 
So these are things ordinarily that are they're not available for those who are gleaning in the fields. This is in addition to that. If, if, if things that were fallen out of the bundles or whatever would not have been available to them because they obviously belonged to those who had reaped that that field and so they would indeed have said hey 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 that doesn't belong to you and so that's what he's saying don't do that in either of these cases so <clears throat> she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley it was a large amount and she took it and went into the city her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned she all she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied so there's sort of an abundant provision here in the mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of, of you. And so she told her where she had worked. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And so then Naomi pronounces a blessing upon him. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So he is cared for in some ways. The husband and two sons that she had lost. And so she's provi- he's providing for these people and and it's out of concern for the dead is sort of what she's alluding to here and then Ruth the Moabite (laughs) said besides he told me you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest which is a form of protection that he's put over her and then so she did keep close to the young women of Boaz gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law so this woman, this Moabite woman, has been given great protection and abundance of provision by this man Boaz, and she's sharing it with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And, and Naomi has said something really important in this little dialogue between the two of them, and what she says is, this man is a near redeemer of ours. So there's a connection there, and Naomi's wheels are already turning about how this could possibly turn out. And a, a near redeemer means that that he is sort of responsible for them, but he has the right to the extent that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, had property. He has the right to go and redeem that property until the um, year of Jubilee. And so he, he could pay for the crops on that particular piece of property until that time in order to hold it for her Naomi to claim if there's a man who was able to claim it at that point in time. And so that's what she means by a redeemer. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with with providing a child or marriage or anything like that. It mostly has to do in that context with being able to, to buy up and redeem the fields or the properties that Elimelech had in order to preserve it for, for the posterity or potential posterity of either Ruth or Naomi. And so that's what she's getting at there with this, this whole Boaz being a redeemer, a close redeemer of ours. And it, it's important that we continue to, to pay attention to the character of Boaz here because Boaz is, is going out of his way and providing above and beyond what's required of him by the law. He is, however, this is an important thing too, following the law. He, he, he is he is. Everything that he's telling his people to do in order to provide for Ruth is in accordance with the law. We have the right to this. However, I'm foregoing my right to this part of the harvest in order to provide for Ruth and Naomi. But but the law is important to Boaz because he, he is he is 
upholding it for his people, but he's saying that, that the law, in this particular case at least, doesn't go far enough, and it's okay if I go around it because I'm making a decision to forego my own rights under the law to this provision. So he, he But the law itself is the standard. And he's making an exception, and that's that's an important thing, and it's particularly on a Wednesday, because on Wednesdays we read Psalm 119, or portions of Psalm 119, because those deal with the law. This is David um, praising God for his law and saying that, that keeping your law actually makes my life much better. And so here the standard Boaz is appealing to is the law and then making exceptions to it, because he can. <laughs> Uh, because this stuff rightfully belongs to him. And so when you get to the gospel lesson today, what you see is Jesus speaking to, to the Jews, and he tells a couple of little parables, and what do I compare the kingdom of God to? And it's like a grain of mustard that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in the branches. So it's something that, that, that is intended to grow and provide for uh, many. And then again he said, What shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hidden three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so growth is the theme of those two things. And then he went through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. There's an ominous note of headed towards Jerusalem because we know ultimately that Waterloo is Jerusalem. And so someone said to them, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he doesn't answer that directly. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he'll answer you. I don't know who you are or where you come from. Then he'll begin to say, we, you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know who, where you come from. Depart from you, all you workers of evil. And so Jesus is, is saying that the kingdom of God belongs to those who do. Strive to enter through the narrow door. And the narrow door would be the law. It would be try to get through that way. Try to get through righteousness. That's the better way of saying it. Not so much the law, but the narrow door. But the, you can't disconnect righteousness and the law. And that's an important thing for everyone to know. And that is, is that you don't get into heaven through works. I don't care who you are. You get in through the narrow door, which is Jesus himself. And so these, these people, these have, have said they are workers of evil. So are you workers of evil or are you workers of good? And so that, that, that falls in line with keeping the law and, and who you are matters. It tells what you believe. And I've said this multiple times. The things that we do tell us what we believe. What, what is the law that governs things, and how do we treat that law? Do we treat it with respect? Do we treat it with love, which is what David has for the law in Psalm 119. He doesn't just respect the law. He loves the law because he loves the lawgiver, and that's important because that's the only way we can love the law. I mean, except for people who, who make a living by working with law, but David loves the law. Loves the law not because he makes money at it, but because it tells him how to live best and navigate life in the world. And so Jesus is very clear here in that place. You'll, be, you'll hear weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves cast out this personal. He's pointing at them. 
And then he says people will come from east and west, north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is Gentiles are going to come in here. He's not pointing to the four corners of um, the land. He's pointing beyond that to the four corners of the earth. And saying, even though you believe yourself to be the seed of Abraham, to be uh, those who will inherit the kingdom of God upon death, then you're wrong. That's not enough, he's saying. There's more to it than that. And and if he calls them specifically workers of evil, which is mean that they're the opposite of the workers of good, they're the workers of those who... who um, pay no attention to the law and he gives us parables of many kinds to show us what that means including the parable of the good samaritan for instance which would tie in with this whole boaz thing because the the way that that person who uh, the samaritan who takes care of the man who's been beaten by the side of the road that's that sort of extravagant hospitality and extravagant concern that goes above and beyond the letter of the law it doesn't seek to determine the limits of the law. It seeks to, to do what the law calls for him to do, which is to love his neighbor. And so whatever is required for my neighbor's good that I have to offer is exactly what you're going to receive. And so that's sort of extravagant keeping of the law is exactly the way that the law is intended to become. It's not to seek to further limit the prescriptions of the law. It's to expand them. So the most expansive way of interpreting the law is the way that Jesus says we should interpret most things. In the First Timothy passage, is First Timothy three one to sixteen, and and Paul says that if anyone desires the, the office of the overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer. Now he's going to contrast, not really contrast, not write the word, but he's going to give us the uh, qualifications for being both an overseer and a deacon. And an overseer is, is a higher position than a deacon, just so you'll know. And we call those bishops in our <clears throat> in the Anglican world. And he, he gives these qualifications. You've got to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Because if you don't know how to manage your own household, how could you possibly care for God's church? Must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then he has to be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It's a um, that's a pretty significant list of qualifications. If if we um, sort of look, looked at those very same things when we were looking for leaders in the church, um, then then we would do well to choose these people. But notice that all these things it would with one exception that, that is able to teach with, with that as being the only exception everything else has to do with character it has to do with who you are and so an overseer has to be a man above reproach in every single way and and it's important that that we choose those kinds of people and then if if somebody who is a leader falls that we deal with that that we deal with that the right way, which is to say, you know, for a season of time, you're not going to be allowed to be an overseer. You're going to have to step down, hit the sidelines for a while, and then somebody else is going to determine when it's okay to, for you to come back into that kind of role, if ever. Because there's, there's, it's, not, it's not greater and lesser as far as being a layperson and being an overseer are concerned. It's just there are special responsibilities laid upon those who are in leadership over the church. 
And we've got to be careful about who those men are and who those women are who have leadership roles. We have to be careful of that, and we have to measure them not against some external standard, but the standard of God himself, which is the law. And he, we know what sort of character we're supposed to have. Then he gives the same or a similar list of uh, qualifications for deacons there. And then he is Paul ends this with a statement of faith, and I think this is the probably the single most important way of saying what the faith is. It's a creedal type statement. And he says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And so there's a creedal statement about who Jesus is that doesn't it does begin with the incarnation. It doesn't begin with the virgin birth. It just begins with manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, which is the resurrection, seen by angels, the ascension, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken them in glory. And that's the the way that G, the progression of Jesus' life um, in a very brief little form. And Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. He gives a really nice, concise... Uh, way of explaining the faith and expressing the faith to the world. It, it's important for us to be able to do that. It's important for us to be able to, to give a short accounting of the hope that lives in us and that, that hope that lives in us with the gospel. It's God has exceedingly and abundantly provided for his people by providing his son for the salvation of the world. And so his son being the what great, you know, whatever grandson of this man Boaz that we looked at today, who looks at this foreigner with pity and provides abundantly for her out of mercy and out of love. And we're called to be those kind of people just as he is.